This spring, we're doing a series of teachings that, in the simplest way, are what the Buddha taught. They are a series of the fundamental principles. The last two weeks, we've done the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. And as we go on over these months, we'll include the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and uh, Brahma Viharas and so forth that are the most central teachings in uh, the Buddhism of Southeast Asia, but really the central underpinnings of all of the uh, main forms of Buddhism that have followed. This evening, then, I'd like to speak about the qualities of heart or mind that are the inherent expression of our true nature or our Buddha nature, which are called the seven qualities or seven factors of enlightenment. And sometimes it was said in the old days, just to hear them, just to be reminded of them, um, can make a significant change in our life. So there was a story of a monk who was quite sick and uh, on his, nearly on his deathbed. And the Buddha inquired about him and heard his condition and said, oh, I should go and visit this monk. And so the Buddha went to visit and sat down and began to recite the factors of enlightenment, the qualities of enlightenment. And with the expression of each one, the monk heard it and felt it in his body and became happier and better. By the time the seven qualities were recited, he was all well again. So, no promises for tonight, but... They're really an expression of the mind that's quiet and the heart that's clear um, and open that is there within each one of us in a moment of openness. Or an expression of liberation. For as the Buddha says, the purpose of spiritual life does not consist of acquiring fame or honor or of virtue, or concentration, or insight. None of these is the purpose. But that unshakable deliverance of the heart, the sure heart's release, this great freedom of heart, this is the goal, the essence of spiritual awakening for us. And how might this happen? Goes the Buddha again. Whenever those who practice dwell in awareness of body, of feelings, of mind, of the laws of the body and mind and the world around us, clearly comprehending, releasing, grasping, and grief. At such time, their mindfulness is undisturbed, present, awakened, and the element of the enlightenment of mindfulness is there within them. And whenever dwelling with mindfulness, they wisely investigate and examine or consider the truth of this life, then the enlightenment factor of investigation or discovery is within them. And whenever, while investigating, discovering this very life, examining, their energy arises and is clear, alive, unshakable, present, 
in such moment they are filled with the energy of life and the element of the enlightenment of energy arises in them. And whenever steady and alive with energy there arises joy and rapture in this life. Then they gain and develop and know the joy and rapture of being alive. The element, the enlightenment element of rapture fills them. And filled in this way, their mind and heart become calm and tranquil at peace. And then the enlightenment element of tranquility and calm fills their being. And being calm and tranquil in such a way, happy, their mind becomes naturally steady at one with all things, concentrated. And the element of enlightenment, of steadiness, rests within them. And whenever they look with complete poise over all things in the world, in thus such a way, they gain the enlightenment element of equanimity or perfect balance. And so their enlightenment is fulfilled and complete and expressed through their whole being. So that's the text, or part of it, that speaks about the possibility of openness that is there in this moment and every moment of our life. These qualities of enlightenment, the factors of enlightenment, have two different groups, an active group and a stabilizing group for the heart. And between them is the first principle, the factor or quality of mindful awareness that balances them all. This first quality of enlightenment that you can discover in a moment in yourself of mindfulness is the quality of presence. Sometimes we speak of it as a sacred presence. Mindfulness knows what is true in this moment, sees it, experiences, senses, without reaction or judgment or grasping, without expectation or contraction, simply being present for this amazing moment and then this amazing moment, without expecting it to be any way other than it is. doesn't mean being calm or some other state, simply present for what is. And this quality is a quality of being that is spacious and easy, allowing, alive, It is called the gateway to the deathless because mindfulness allows all of life as it is, the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, the vast suffering of life and the unspeakable beauty to appear before us as if we could bow to it to say, yes, this too. It is a resting and openness. And as I've said in some previous weeks, it is also the greatest of the powers of the heart. I've described this story, I think, some time ago to you of John Kabat-Zinn, who was the 
teacher of mindfulness in hospitals now, hundreds of them throughout America. Um, He began his work training people in mindfulness in the basement of the medical center in Massachusetts, in the medical school. And the only people that he would see were the ones that the doctors had given up on. And he would say, that's fine, I'll be down in the basement and after you've done the surgery and tried the medications and done all the things, those people whom you're unable to help, send them down to me because I have the strongest medicine of all. And what was the medicine that he had? The strongest medicine of all. The great medicine that he offered was people would come down with intractable pain and all kinds of suffering that they'd tried everything else to do. And he said, fine, we will sit with this and face it as the truth of your experience. We will sit with the truth of what is so for you in a mindful way, accepting what is true. And no matter what was brought to him, he said, yes, we will sit with this also. And that's why he was unafraid to take whoever came down. He said, yeah, we have the best medicine, the big guns, when everything else fails. That is to be here with what is true. In a moment of awareness, we come into balance. In just a moment, we might be lost, confused, frightened, entangled, grasping, needy, any kind of state at all. And then there's the moment that says, really lost, aren't you? And there's that little moment that says, oh, this is really lost. And in that moment, it's like there's this great space that opens up about being lost. Or, wow, you've really gotten into confusion today, haven't you? And it's as if you bow to it and say, there's confusion. That's really a good case, isn't it? That's maha confusion, the great confusion. And it only takes an instant, a moment. Here it is. This is what's so. So a moment of mindfulness has an enormous value because it's a moment of freedom. It's the gateway to the deathless, as I said. And sometimes people practice for a while and they get kind of discouraged because they say, I'm not really much more mindful than when I started. You know? And I'll have a conversation with them and say, well, how mindful were you when you started? <laughs> And it turns out, for example, in meditation, well, I had an hour of sitting or whatever, or half an hour, but I was only here a little bit at a time, almost all of it. I was thinking and scratching and itching and planning and remembering and upset and trying to get rid of this pain and worried about the person coming in the door and the sound they were making. The moments where I was just there, present, really here without wanting it to be any different, just knowing the dance of life, we're just maybe one or two percent. I say, well, how is it now? Well, after a lot of practice, it's not much better. Maybe I'm here four percent or six percent, but 96, 94 percent of the time I'm gone. I say, well, that's quite an improvement, actually, <laughs> from two percent to six percent. That means that you're here and alive three times more, that you're actually alive. So don't uh, dismiss those moments. It only takes a moment. Mindfulness has this spacious quality that sees what is so and senses it. You're sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, you fall in love. 
It happens once in a while. There's desire, fantasy, all of this. And you're going on and on and telling the story to yourself, you know, marriage. Or maybe it's divorce first, then remarriage. Who knows what it is? Uh Uh-huh, okay. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm hungry. I didn't eat tonight. I wonder what I should eat. And you always hear this great romantic movie that's going on, and then it kind of shunts away and you realize I'm hungry and then you wake up and you say wow I told that whole movie for a long time and then all I got lost in was what's for dinner right or you're sitting there and you're in fear and you start to notice that fear fear the moment of mindfulness that makes space around it and you allow it and it's just fear you kind of make friends with it and maybe it goes away after 20 or 30 or 50 times fear comes and you realize oh that's just fear I know you it's a friend But maybe it doesn't. Maybe it gets worse. You sit and you're meditating. Fear, fear. You name it and allow it to be there. And it gets stronger. And it turns into terror. Fear, fear. Oops, terror, terror. (laughs) Okay, so you bow to that terror. But I feel like I'm dying. Dying, dying. (laughs) And then the thought comes again. I wonder what I'm going to have for dinner when I leave here. Because the mind will do that. It has no pride at all. And it just does one thing after another. (laughs) And mindfulness is that capacity to see what's so and say, oh, wow, look at that dance. Or you're there with the breath and the breath stops and then there's the space at the end of breath and the new breath comes in. Just feel the space within which the breath happens and within which the thoughts come. There's a thought, I like that, I want to be this, I hope people think about that and remember me while they're at it. And there's this whole inner dialogue about ourself and then the thoughts get a little quiet. Notice the space between thoughts. And when the thinking goes away, guess who else goes away? Moi, as Miss Piggy would say, you know. There's, we are who we are by telling ourselves these stories. And then there's a space And mindfulness notices that and sees the space, senses the space that things arise in. It can even be so in the face of death itself. So I have spoken a number of times here about being with my father several years ago as he was in the hospital in his last week, lying there quite frightened, He was somebody who had a lot of fear and paranoia in his life. And because he also was a physiologist and knew all the things about the machines he was hooked up to, and he had been a a biophysicist that invented some of the first artificial hearts, he was particularly frightened about his heart stopping. Kept looking over at the monitors and checking and and so forth. And so he couldn't sleep because he was always afraid he would die in his sleep. And not sleeping meant that he was getting more afraid. And kind of, you know how it is when you don't sleep. At least when I don't sleep, I get kind of crazy. And for my father, who started out that way, it was was pretty tough. And so I'd sit and get to the end of the evening, talk about things and so forth. And then he'd say, please don't go. It's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Please don't go stay with me. Midnight. Please don't go. You know, don't leave me here. So I would hold his hand, which was a very rare thing in our family, and I would just stay really late. 
Then I get there early in the morning. And all he wanted was somebody to sit with him who wasn't so afraid. I talked to him about dying. I said, you know what happens when you die? He said, nothing. You know, this is the, the brain dissolves and he's, I'm a scientist. You just go back to the earth. This is it. I said, well, you know, in other traditions all around the world, there are these teachings about leaving the body. I've done it in meditation and the light. And I did this whole thing of what happens when you die. He said, that's a pretty good story. I said, well, you know, it might be true. It's possible. I said, you wait and see. And I said, and if, if it starts to happen to you, remember, I told you so. <laughs> oh. So this is the first of these powers of enlightenment, the quality of mindfulness to be with what is in birth and death and all the things in between and say, yes, this too arises, is part of experience and passes away. To be in the space of knowing which we can all share. The suchness of life. And with this mindfulness, this mindful presence, then there arises naturally an inner energy or effort. These are the enlivening qualities, the active qualities. Now, what does it mean to make wise effort in spiritual practice? It is simply the effort to be present, the energy of life, to be alive, not to struggle with life or to fix it in some way, but more like the balance of being on a bicycle. You know how it is when you learn to ride a bicycle. You're never really in the center on the bicycle, are you? You're always adjusting a little bit from this side to that side, loosening, tightening. And it's the same way, like the image from the Buddha is of the, the tightening of a string of a lute or a guitar. That quality of being present when we're lost and kind of too relaxed to come back again, a certain dignity. When we're tense or tight, to relax until we're just here, fully alive. In balance. This is from Robert Gruden's book on time. Happiness may well consist primarily of an attitude toward time. Individuals we consider happy commonly seem complete in the present. We see them constantly in their wholeness, attentive, cheerful, open rather than closed to events, integral in the moment rather than distended across time by regret or anxiety. One almost feels that their lives possess a kind of qualified eternity, that past and future, birth and death meet for them as in the completion of a circle. This is that quality of energy or aliveness that is just here. And sometimes we're afraid, well, if I'm here too much, I'll run out, like we have this little battery, and I do it, and, you know, I better withdraw or whatever. But actually, it's the opposite, that as we allow ourselves this aliveness, we become a channel 
through which flexibility, openness, wholeness, energy moves. Don Juan called this quality impeccability. What matters is that a spiritual warrior be impeccable because you're only going to be here for a short while. In fact, too short for witnessing all the marvels of it. Doesn't matter that you get it right. Right is just an idea in this moment which will change, I assure you, sometime in the future. Um, in fact, as Zen Master Dogen said, a, a Zen Master's life is one continuous mistake. Right? It's one moment of not doing it right followed by another moment of not doing it right, which is to say, one moment of learning after another. It's a process of learning again and again. So it's not about doing it right, but about the capacity of the heart to be present in this life of change and pain and love and loss and hope and plans and fear, and to discover that we can stand to see and feel and be this alive. From Pema Chodron, She writes, It is very helpful to realize that being here, sitting in meditation as we've done this evening, doing simple everyday things like working, walking outside, talking with people, bathing, using the toilet, is actually all that we need to be fully awake, fully alive, fully human. It's also helpful to realize that this body that we have, this very body that's sitting here right now in this room, that perhaps aches after the sitting, and this mind that we have in this very moment are exactly what we need to be fully human, fully awake, and fully alive. Furthermore, the emotions that we have right now, the negative and positive feelings, are exactly what we need. It is just as if we had looked around to find out what would be the greatest wealth that we could possibly possess in order to lead a decent, good completely fulfilling, energetic, inspired life and found it all right here. So this is this quality of presence and aliveness, a dedication to the moment, to this life. And we have in us each this seed, this longing to open, to show up and be present. It really is a kind of trust that's asked of us that we can learn to be present and free this moment and this one and this one to trust, a willingness. Because it knows how to open. The body, the heart, the mind, this life knows exactly how to proceed. It breathes itself, it moves itself. It's simply our willingness to open and let go and meet each moment in that way. Now with the energy and mindfulness, then there comes the factor of enlightenment, of investigation. It's called dhamma-vichaya, which means clear seeing or seeing what is true. When the mind is still, says Krishnamurti, when the mind is still, tranquil, not seeking any solution, not reacting, not struggling, then it is possible to see what is true. 
and it is the truth that liberates and not your efforts to be free. To be free comes not from changing or fixing the world, but seeing this world as it is and opening the heart in the midst of it. So this is the quality that asks for us to see what is so with the eyes of a Buddha, with our wisdom, with the heart of a Buddha, to look and see. And it doesn't mean look and figure it all out exactly. To be uncertain is to be uncomfortable, but to be certain is to be ridiculous. (laughs) So Socrates said, I know one thing, I know that I know nothing. And Zen master Kusan from Nine Mountains Monastery, when he came to the three-month retreat, in Barry at IMS that we have every year there for a hundred yogis. He came in at the end and he looked around and heard about the practice people were doing, sat up there with his Zen stick, very impressive, this old master. He said, you know, this practice you do, all wrong, not get you anywhere. You know, it was rather dismaying to people who had just spent three months sitting and walking and <laughs> trying to be mindful. He said, this wrong practice. Banged his Zen staff on the you know, ground, he said, only one thing you must do, ask, what is this? What is this? This body? What is this? This life? What is this? What is this? Who am I? What are you? This is the investigation of mindfulness. People figured it out after a while. He was really talking about the same thing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It's the quality that another Zen master calls don't know mind. Who are you really? Don't know. What is consciousness? Don't know. What is love? Don't know. How did it all get here? Don't know. Where is it all going? It's good. You don't know. That's the place to start. Just don't know. Now look. Look from this don't know. And when one opens, then there is mystery and tears. My teacher Ajahn Shah said, if you haven't wept deeply, you haven't begun to meditate. The old and beloved Zen poet Ryokan from Japan The vicissitudes of this world are like the movements of the clouds. Fifty years of my life are nothing but one long dream. Sparse rain in my hermitage at night. Quietly I clutch my robe and lean against the empty window. He's He's a poet of loneliness on some days. And then other days he says, How could we ever lose interest in life? Spring has come again. The cherry trees bloom in the, in, bloom in the mountains. Gaily the warm spring days pass, playing with the children in the forest below the shrine. In my bowl, violets and dandelions are mixed together with the Buddhas of the three worlds. So there's joy and sorrow, and he's simply open to see that, to see it all. There's a kind of innocence to it that doesn't presume things, but sees them in a fresh 
and new way. What is this? To be alive, to be given one of these strange forms, you know, with the wiggly things on the end, right? And these arms that move and the legs that move. Really bizarre. And that we make new ones of ourselves (laughs) out of our bodies is quite strange, isn't it? You know. I mean, I've mentioned this. Haven't you had those moments, especially making love, where you say, no, this is really kind of peculiar. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. And then another human being comes out of that. Fantastic. Where does that come from? So it's to begin to pay attention with a kind of daring and willingness and discovery, not a presumption. This is Ronald Reagan on his first tour, first after his first presidential tour of South America. Well, I learned a lot. You'd be surprised. They're all individual countries. (laughs) 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 It's a quality of discovery. And it happens in a moment. You sit here, what is this breath? It breathes itself. The thoughts, where do your thoughts come from? Try and feel, do they come from someplace in your body? Are they coming from out there? You know, from beam down from somewhere? Where do they come? And then where do they go? Yeah, I know in some of your cases they are beamed down. I know it's true. (laughs) Right? What is this dance? To see with the eyes of a Buddha is to see in this timeless way with innocence and daring. I say, this life is amazing. Here I read you a poem. Oh, I love that little <laughs> babble in the back there. Thank you. Thank you. I read a poem for this child babbling back there that maybe gives a sense of looking at this new life anew, this investigation. How does the breath appear out of nowhere? Where do the thoughts go? Is this my body? Do you really own it? Or do you just have it for a while? Rent it. How about your thoughts? They were, you know, not only did I talk about them being beamed in, you know, but look at the kind of patterns they have. This poem is called Reverse Living. Life is tough. It takes up a lot of your time, all your weekends, and what do you get at the end of it? Death, a great reward. I think that the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first, get it out of the way. Then you live 20 years in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch, you go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You go to college, you party until you're ready for high school. You become a little kid, you play, you have no responsibilities. You become a little boy or girl, you go back into the womb. You spend your last nine months floating, and you finish off as a gleam in someone's eye. (laughs) So that's the third quality of enlightenment that sees this mystery, that looks. The fourth is joy or rapture that comes as we open, as we're alive and present. Alan Watts used to speak about 
spiritual life. He said, at first, for most people, it seems to be a grim duty to be a spiritual person. There's a certain kind of person for whom God gets mixed up with exercise and vitamins. And there's a kind of self-improvement about it. Well, if I jog and I do all these things enough in the right way, you know, and I do body work and I do enough um, therapy and I get my financial trip together and work out this and that kind of karma, I'll be, you know, enlightened or something like that. Um, but it's not about that. Um, and it's true, you know, as, as Suzuki Roshi said, um, everyone is perfect and yet there's still room for improvement, right? They're both true. Um, It's not about that either way. Those things are fine. But awakening is something entirely different. It's not on that map. It's the awakening now, in this moment, without improving or changing or fixing anything. And this joy or rapture in uh, Thai monasteries where I practice, it was called Jai Pong Sai, which means a lightness of heart. Um, is the natural opening of the heart, a happiness that sees sorrow and beauty and all of those and finds a joy of just being alive in the midst of them. Again, Zen Master Suzuki Roshi, at the end of a retreat, when when he was saying, if you have some real taste of this practice on this retreat, without losing your practice, It may be a great encouragement to continue in the midst of your busy activity and still have this taste of the calmness of your mind, even when it's difficult. Not because you're supposed to stick to it, but because you enjoy it. When you enjoy it, you don't have to worry about sticking to it. Whatever you do, that taste is not something that you have to stick to. It's not something you have to recall. You do it because you are alive and enjoying it. This is true enlightenment. So you can sit here and enjoy your loneliness, as Ryokan did, or your love, or your fear, or something that's beautiful, or the sleepiness, to enjoy the fact of being alive with all the the dance of it provides, an interest and a joy. Thich Nhat Hanh this last year um, published a new book, publishes new books very often, um, called Cultivating the Mind of Love. It was a series of talks he did a couple or a few years ago in his center in France in Plum Village. And he was giving these these talks on uh, dharma and and, uh, interdependence as he usually does and the, the nature of understanding. And in the middle of giving one of his talks, and people were sitting there listening as one does to a Dharma talk, sort of half listening, and half meditating or reflecting or drifting or whatever. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, he paused for a moment and he began, she was 20 years old when I met her. We were at the Temple of Complete Awakening in the highlands of Vietnam. And as I was walking up the steps to return to the temple, I saw a nun standing there looking out onto the nearby hills. Seeing her standing like that was like a fresh breeze blowing across my face. I had seen many nuns before, but I had never had a feeling like that. 
And all of a sudden, all these people who were half listening to the Dharma talk <laughs> sat up, said, oh, something interesting is happening here. <laughs> and so in this book, he tells the story of this first love affair, not enacted because they were a monk and nun, but the, the inner life of this, alternately with his teachings on the practice of love and loving kindness. It's quite beautiful. She was just 20 years old when I first saw her and fell in love. Do not sit long with sadness, my friend. When you look at a garden, do you look at thorns or flowers? Spend more time with roses and jasmines. That's Rumi. There are different qualities of rapture. If you read about it in the Buddhist text, there's trembling rapture and vibrations, and there's thrilling rapture and deep cold rapture all these different kinds. But what it is is the quality of presence and satisfaction and wholeness. There's a beauty in being alive, in our aliveness itself. Here, let me give you a sense of it. This is from Lewis Thomas in Lives of a Cell. This is another life form, but maybe you can resonate. At home, 4 p.m. today, says the female moth, and releases a small explosion of bombacol hormone, a single molecule of which will tremble the hairs of any male within miles and send him driving upward in a confusion of ardor. (laughs) But it is doubtful if he has an awareness of being caught in an aerosol of chemical attractant. Mm -hmm. On the contrary... He probably finds suddenly that it has become an excellent day, the weather remarkably bracing, the time appropriate for a bit of exercise of the old wings, a brisk turn upwind, en route traveling the scent gradient of Bombacol. He notes the presence of other males headed in the same direction, all in a good mood, inclined to race for the sheer sport of it. Then, when he reaches his destination, it may seem to him the most extraordinary of coincidences, the greatest piece of luck. Bless my soul, what have we here? (laughs) The quality of enlightenment of joy. Deborah Chamberlain Taylor tells this story of a friend of hers, a black woman who was born into... Uh, a situation of great deal of poverty, um, alcoholic family, uh, abandonment, um, underwent um, a lot of deprivation as a child and a great deal of suffering of different kinds, and then somehow pulled herself out of that, (coughs) became educated, became a feminist, and dealt with a lot of the issues around racism and all of these other things, and struggled a great deal in her life. Now she was 40 or so when they were sitting in a circle in a group at the end of some time together. And she said, you know, I've decided. I've decided to do the most radical thing that I can do with my life. Everyone looked over to her. I've decided to be happy. (laughs) After all that, I've decided to be happy. This is from Rabbi Nachman, 
Bratislav. If you never want to see the face of hell, when you come home from work every night, dance with your kitchen towel. And if you're worried about waking your family, simply take your shoes off first. (laughs) So this is the quality of joy and rapture of being alive itself. Then the next quality is that of concentration, wholeness, steadiness, the images of an elephant being pricked by a pin, the steadiness of heart that's unwavering. And it, it's missing in many of the elements of Western psychology or Western culture, the kind of stillness and depth that can come when we're really deeply present and, and completely concentrated on what we're doing. Because in that concentration, it's as if we step out of the small sense of self, as if that begins to dissolve, and we're there just with this moment, as if everything else disappears. We release the body of fear and come into a truer state of being. It's a collectedness, a returning, a steadiness, the steadiness of being absolutely here in this moment. Gandhi spoke of it as blessed monotony, of that willingness like the stars in their orbit and the moon and the planets, just to again and again to be in circles with things, circling them again and again, this breath, this step, this cup of tea, until we're so there that there's only this cup of tea. You don't even know that you're there anymore, just the tea drinking itself in some. And what comes with this is a quality of being at home. There's a tremendous at-homeness, a relaxation, a purity. This concentration has beautiful purity in it, not against something, but simply that you're not worried or afraid or guilty or planning because you're here. And there comes a light with it So in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says, If thine eye be single, thy whole body will be filled with light. If you're that present or whole completely, or the last words of the Buddha as he looked to those around him, make of yourself a light. Make of yourself a light. That wholeness. We learn it in any moment that we let go, steady, come here, complete ourselves. There's a beautiful quality to it of stability and dignity. Rilke's poem, The Swan, he says, this clumsy living that moves lumbering as if in ropes through what is not done reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks. And to die which is a letting go of the ground we stand on and cling to every day, is like the swan when he nervously lets himself down into the water, which receives him gaily, which flows joyfully under and after him, wave after wave, while the swan, unmoving and marvelously calm, is pleased to be carried, each minute more fully grown, more like a king, queen, composed farther and farther on. 
But it's that quality. There's a kind of regal quality that the inner truth of our Buddha nature, our nobility, so it's how you're spoken to in many of the texts. O nobly born, you who are the son or daughter of the Buddha, remember your true being. Let go of the body of fear, the small worries, the plans, the memories and guilt, and be here in that radiant and dignified essence of your being. (coughs) Steadiness, to learn that steadiness. The sixth of these seven qualities of enlightenment is an innate calm. It's the calmness of the wise, a certain stillness. So my teacher, Ajahn Chah, put it this way. Oh. He couldn't have said it better than that. I remember that. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful and rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. The quality of calm, it's a restful heart that learns to trust, to swim in life, that it can support us, that we're buoyant. Easy come, easy go is the Taoist phrase for it. The man and woman in whom Tao acts without impediment harms no other being by their actions yet does not know themselves to be kind or gentle. The men and women in whom Tao acts without impediment do not bother with their own interests and do not despise others who do. They do not struggle to make money and do not make a virtue of poverty. They go their way without relying on others and do not pride themselves on walking alone. While they do not follow the crowd, they won't complain of those who do. Rank and reward make no appeal to them. Disgrace and shame do not deter them. They are not always looking for right and wrong, always deciding yes and no. This quality of peace, of resting in the Tao, relaxing our expectations and trusting that spring comes after winter, that it always has and it always will. To be without anxiety about non-perfection is the line of the Zen ancestors. To not be anxious that the world isn't the way we hoped it would be, it's quite amazing the way that it is. And this calm has a bodily presence. There's a bodily ease and calm. Cellular, you can feel it. It has a presence in the heart. And it has a presence in the mind. Let's see. 
This is from Don Juan again. I can find it. No. <laughs> oh well. Was it? It was a uh, passage about the inner dialogue and how much of the time we spend talking to ourselves, telling the stories over and over again about who we are and who we were and who we will be, and what it's like to step out of that for a moment, not to fight it or struggle against it, but just get bigger than that and rest in this vast stillness that is who we really are. There's a healing in this calm, bodily, heart calm, calmness of mind. There's a kind of mercy that comes in this calmness. You know the account of the, the accounts of the Japanese soldiers who were stationed on the islands throughout the Pacific in World War II and how when the war, the front moved at times very quickly, some of them were abandoned and left on these islands and didn't even know the war had ended. Over the years after the end of the war, various people were discovered and brought back. And you might think of those people there, believing themselves to be good soldiers defending their homeland, the things they love the most in the face of grave hardships with no one supporting them. And then what would happen to those few who were found 10 or 15 years later? They weren't considered misguided, or fools. Instead, whenever one of these soldiers was located, the first contact was always made very carefully. Someone who had been a high-ranking Japanese officer during the war would take out his old uniform and samurai sword from the closet and take an old military boat to the area where the lost soldier had been sighted. The officer would walk through the jungle calling out for the soldier until he was found. And when they met, the officer would thank the soldier with tears in his eyes for his loyalty and courage in continuing to defend the country for so many years. And then he would ask him about his experiences, welcome him back. And only after some time would the soldier gently be told that the war was over, that his country was at peace again so he would not have to fight anymore. And when he reached home, he would be given a hero's welcome with crowds thanking him and celebrating his arduous struggle and his return and reunion with his people. There are so many ways which we have each struggled in this life. So many things we've struggled with in ourselves and with others. This quality of calm has a mercy and a contentment in it, a kind of forgiveness for all the ways that each of us has been lost. It has a graciousness in it that we can let go and meet all those disappointments and struggles with an open heart and say, yes, we are here as a Buddha in the midst of them all with that much compassion and that much kindness. And the final quality, the final graciousness of these factors of enlightenment is called the quality of equanimity. Perfect poise 
or balance. And it's not the equanimity that removes ourselves from the world, but a steadiness in the midst of all things. I remember when Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh first came to this country, visited San Francisco Zen Center and other places, and I spent some time with him. And I heard Baker Roshi, at that time the abbot of San Francisco Zen Center, speaking of Thich Nhat Hanh. And he said, he is a cross between a cloud, a flower, and a piece of heavy machinery. (laughs) (laughs) That there's this incredible lightness to him in in a certain way, and then there's a steadiness and an earthiness and a groundedness that's quite unshakable. And this quality of equanimity is that balance where we rest in the eternal present. And the waves arise, sometimes great storms, sometimes the most beautiful day on the lake. And we're just here. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Just there with whatever arises. It's not a removal from life or an indifference. In fact, it realizes, it recognizes that there is nowhere to go and there never has been, and there never will be. It's like the sage Ramana Maharshi, when he died and the people around him, his disciples said, please, please don't leave us. And he looked back with the utmost compassion, and he said, but where could I go? Where could I go? I'm here, I'm always here, and so are you. We're always here in this moment in the eternal present. It's simply the quality of balance, of being able to be present and not lose ourselves or get tossed by so much. In a way, not much happens, as that poem talked about of reverse living. We're born and we go through a certain great or small drama. Shakespeare writes a whole variety of them. You can read other ones beside your own. And then, you know, we probably do it again. At least that's what they say. Remember the poem about uh, the mailman. I didn't have it with me tonight. I couldn't find it. But I wrote what I can remember of of, uh, Lewis Jenkins' poem. At first, he stopped delivering third-class mail. All those soap commercials and ads and useless things like that. He left them in his attic and never looked at them again. Then he began to select first-class mail for random (laughs) non-delivery. Before he was caught, he grew more bold, deleting houses, then whole blocks put in his attic for the several years, never seen again. Certain businesses failed, certain marriages and engagements were broken. Yes, he began to wish he'd been born in a different era, perhaps a Pony Express rider, riding as fast as he could from one town gasping into the other, arriving with an empty bag. (laughs) Or the first runner from ancient Marathon, stumbling into the streets of Athens, gasping, no news. (laughs) (laughs) Where could I go, said Ramana Maharshi. There isn't so much news, actually. There isn't all that much that's new. We breathe in and we breathe out. We're born and we die. and Maybe we're born and we die again. It's very possible. 
we either love or we're too frightened to love. And then we learn to love later. And equanimity is the appreciation for all of this without trying to fix it or fight with it. Finding that place of nirvana, of freedom, of peace in the midst of it all. When you realize the fact that everything changes and find your composure in it, there you find yourself in nirvana. It's already here. Nothing needs to be added and nothing taken away. It's beautiful and it's difficult and it's full and it's empty. There's a rabbi who, uh, when asked, how can you live with such peace? He was known for his equanimity. In the midst of so many changes and sufferings and beautiful things, And he said, well, I have two pockets into which I can put my hand at any moment according to what I need. And in my right pocket, I keep the words, for your sake, the world was created. It's so precious, it's for you. And in my left pocket, I keep the words, you are dust and ashes. And depending on the moment, I reach into one pocket or the other. What these qualities of enlightenment speak about is the naturally good heart, is this which is our true nature when we let go in a moment of being caught up in fears and thoughts and plans and separateness. It is really who we are. So that the first great Zen teacher to come to America and live here in New York, Nyogen Senzaki, He observed, he said, America has always had Zen students. It's had them in the past, has them in the present, and will have many of them in the future. They mingle easily with so-called worldlings. They play with children, respect kings and beggars, and handle gold and silver as pebbles and stones. This is true for all of us. There's this small sense of self, the body of fear, and it's there to be loved and brought back from the islands with forgiveness and kindness, acknowledged with mercy. And in the midst of that is the presence of mindfulness, the energy of being alive, the investigation of seeing this mystery, this dance of life, the joy and happiness for no reason at all, even in the midst of sorrow. The concentration or steadiness of being and the calm, the peaceful heart that brings a blessing to all that we touch and the sense of equanimity that is like the sense of grace itself. This, it said, is our true nature and it's not far away. It is here in a moment that we remember. So I end with this passage from the Tao. If you don't realize the source, you stumble in confusion and sorrow. When you realize where you come from, you naturally become tolerant, disinterested, amused, kind-hearted as a grandmother, and dignified as a king. Immersed in the wonder of the Tao, 
You can deal with whatever life brings you. And when death comes, even when death comes, you are ready. Let's sit just for a minute. Chant together the sound ah of opening. Ah. Ah. be filled with all the qualities of enlightenment, joy and discovery, equanimity and a calm heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.